Well, once again, Muslim terrorists a terrorist have slaughtered innocent Islamic people and extremists now control much of the country. The Their brand of justice is brutal and deadly. News flash, America. These Muslim extremists are, uh, are alive and well. They are not dead. And their video is not gratuitous. And it certainly is not irrelevant. It is a warning. Welcome to the Truth About Muslims podcast, the official podcast of the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, where we help to educate you beyond the media. Here are your hosts, Howard and Trevor. Today's episode is uh, Homegrown Terrorist, uh, Terrorist in the United States. Right, and our sponsors. Sponsors this week, uh, Columbia International University. Columbia educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. And Zwemer Center. Zwemer Center, as always, uh, educating you beyond the media. Wait, that's us. That is us. We educate beyond the media, but what does Zwemer Center do, Trevor? <laughs> uh, the Zwemer Center has been equipping the church since 1979 to understand Muslims. Before it was cool. Before it was cool. Yeah, 35 years of educating people to understand Muslims so that we can reach them with the gospel. Glory. All right, so Howard, this week you uh, had an interesting encounter with an old friend. Right, yeah, so this was really good because this kind of gives me... The ability to kind of feel the pulse of the American populace. Yeah, this is a this is a story that's you know it's anecdotal. It's our own experience, but at the same time, I think it's more true than we wish it was. Right, and uh, you know, like so, I'm just this normal guy, 37 years old, lives in America, grew up in the states, uh, nazi dresser. (laughs) Thank you. Loves Jesus, you know, and just trying to uh, figure out how to how we fit, what we're supposed to do, what's our Christian response. And so I think there's a lot of people that kind of fit that demographic, especially on social media. So I talked to this guy and we, you know, caught up, had had a good time. And he just asked me what my thoughts on ISIS was. And uh, it's amazing that that's the conversation. You're sitting down with an old friend and this is often the conversation with me, but I work in the context of uh, teaching uh, in a university setting about Islam, about Muslim Christian relations. But I think it's not just because of what I do, I think everybody's right. talking about it's everyone. It's like the weather. Yeah, it's it's on. What it's are your a, thoughts on ISIS? It's exciting, and it's in everyone's head, and there's a concern. So I think it's kind of a triple threat. Yeah, but anyway, so I'm talking Tri-tacta. to this guy, right? And I'm talking to this guy, and we just you know kind of talk, and he just shared something that his pastor had posted on Facebook, and I don't remember all the details, but it just basically went where talking about support for uh, arms against ISIS. Which I get, you know, that that's kind of a, a thing, you know, where, you know, I think it's pretty standard. And because, uh, you know, it's it's a battle. It's it's there's a lot of atrocities uh, that are happening. So, you know, they're they're wanting to make a stand. Well, anyway, so this guy, this friend of mine, he he posts back because he just, you know, started to get close to this pastor. So he was kind of testing him out, feeling him out. So he, he made this uh, comment on there about how, you know, we need to share the gospel with with radical Muslims, but if that doesn't work, it might need to be a bullet. And of course, that brought me back to... Bill Robertson. The beard, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's Doug Dynasty. Right, and so I was kind of like mesmerized because at the same time, like I'm not condemning my friend or even the pastor. I'm just thinking to myself, this is what I think normal Christians probably are at. Yeah, this is the conversation happening. I think while we're making the Phil Robertson comment, the boom goes the dynamite section of the show, I think it might actually be the the norm. Right, because we were, I, you know, like, and I don't know if this is just us, but I, we were kind of making fun of it because it was like so, re, you know, ridiculous, I think, a little bit over the top. Like Phil Robertson's going to go and take his shotguns and shoot some people, you know, and... 
I don't even think that people think of it that way. I think people are like, yeah, he's right. No, I think a lot of people agreed with him. Sadly. Right. So that was my friend and, and we had a great, you know, great time talking. We didn't end up like arguing or anything like that, but I, I, it was really neat because I kind of shared my perspective and I think that helped him a lot to kind of come away from, oh yeah, I forgot we're Christians. Yeah. I think we easily forget because we're inundated with media all the time telling right. us that uh, we should be afraid. Right, and then we're also Americans, so we have guns and we Americans. can and we can fight. Tell you what, and so yeah, I mean, I get that, I get that. But the again, that Christian response going above and beyond, um, you know, hating our enemies, but actually loving, loving yeah. our enemies. So, yeah. Well, you know, that brings us to the the media this week. Um, a lot of lot, exciting stuff happening. A lot going on. Oh, where do you start? Uh, I want to talk about Ebola. I don't know why, but Ebola and Muslims, I, I didn't even know they go together, but that's they great. do. We'll get to that later, yeah. later in the show. Right. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's our boom goes the dynamite section. <laughs> but, right. but first of all, we got to talk about the, uh, it, there seems to be this epidemic. It's coming. All these American teenagers are leaving the United States and joining ISIS. And we say all these uh, very, very loosely because <laughs> yeah. it's not really all these. But there is enough that it's kind of being a little concerning, I think. It is Dis- bizarre. Disconcerting. Yeah, uh, enough to, to make you uncomfortable. Right. Like, what is going on? So, yeah, tell us, man. Uh, well, we had the one, uh, this was a few weeks ago, the uh, Chicago teen. Uh, what was the name? Muhammad Khan? Right from, I believe it was Pakistan, who went to, uh, was attempting to fly to Syria to join ISIS. And so that was a little bit of a concern. Here you have this young, uh, young adult. I wouldn't call him a, you know, he's a teenager because he's, uh, I believe he was 19 years old. I'm, I'm not sure how, see if you can pull that up, the news report. But I believe he was a, a young adult, really. And right. he, he was arrested at, o- at O'Hare Airport right. by and, the FBI. And I believe it was his parents that turned him in, finding out what was going on and being concerned. But anyway, he was leaving the United States. He yeah, he was, he was 19. Muhammad Khan, yep. Yeah. How did he get turned in? I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm getting these all. I, I want to make sure I have them all settled in my head because I know that's the, the, the next story we're going to talk about. Their parents turned him in. But how did he get caught? Does it say there in the article how he was caught? Uh, he warned. Uh, he he. He invited his family to join him in the three-page letter, oh, that's uh, right. which authorities found in his bedroom. Mm-hmm. And he told them, he warned them not to tell anybody about his travel plans. Of course. Of course. Right. But, anyway. You know, has, I'm sure his family thought, you know, what is happening? This is crazy. No, nobody wants to see their 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 kid kind of go down this this path. But you know what? Again, like we said in the show before, it's uh, it's a young age. You're searching for identity, a place to belong. Uh, he, like the others that we're going to talk about, encountered some ISIS propaganda on the internet and right. social and media. Apparently they are very good on social media. I can't figure out um, how they're getting away with this since social media is so public. But anyway, that's where he kind of uh, encountered ISIS. Yeah. Like we talked about that with the, uh, the girl from Glasgow, uh, right? The bedroom radical. <laughs> so that, that was the title of the article. Crying. That was the title of the article. But uh, like how compelling their, their material must be. Yeah. Well, like I say, it's not hard to convince a person to radicalize. You don't need a Quran to do it. It's more of a social, a sociological phenomenon. And you use some propaganda, you develop a couple conspiracy theories that have just enough truth in them to make you convinced that you have to go and join the fight against the West. So right. anyway. And then there was also that 19-year-old American nurse. 
Yeah, she... Well, so, again... Yeah, what happened there? Apparently, ISIS, these guys are winsome, because this is the second one that has gone to uh, join ISIS as a bride. So she she also uh, met an ISIS fighter online. Do they have a they have a dating website or something? I, I shouldn't joke, but it, does no, sound, I mean, it sounds very bizarre. Right, because you're second. hearing about these brides. That, I mean, they're going for the bride. I'm, yeah, to be a bride. So... China, yeah. she went, uh, who was arrested after trying to fight with ISIS alongside extremist boyfriends she met online. Yeah. So th- again, this is a lot like the Glasgow um, young woman who met an ISIS fighter online. She too was um, was stopped and. But she was fighting like as a woman. She was fighting like guns and fighting, right? And so that was interesting. That's not exactly what I was thinking happens to a lot of these women that would go. I just assumed that they would be brides and stay at the camp or whatever they do. I mean, well, apparently it's okay, uh, to yeah. join in the fight. Maybe they're taking after, uh, one of my favorite historical characters actually, um, in Islam is, uh, the young Aisha who was actually quite, um, the politician, quite the, uh, exegete and also quite the, uh, military leader. Um, she was a young, young woman, but had great, um, appeal to the masses, and it's really interesting because the radicals appeal to Aisha as why women should be in the home and they shouldn't have any rights, and then also the liberals appeal to Aisha as someone who had more rights than a lot of Muslim women have today. So she's a really interesting character, but we'll have to do a whole different podcast just on Aisha. Right. So there was also the three Denver girls. Yes, um, teenagers again. Yeah, two two of them were fifteen, and the oldest was seventeen. They skipped school to join ISIS. Got on a plane to join ISIS and were uh, stopped in, what was it, Germany? Yeah, in Frankfurt. They had made it all the way to Frankfurt. And they had $2,000 cash. Yeah, and they were turned in by their parents. Right. Uh, Mom found out what was going on. And, you know, don't mess with Mama. She found out what was going on and turned her daughters in. And so who knows how this is going to go forward with a a trial because these are, you know, some of these are teenagers. Well, actually, I think think they were were taken home. They were uh, met by the FBI. They were taken home, interviewed, or I guess interrogated and released. But well, that, because they're because they're uh, underage, I don't know that we'll find out exactly what will happen proceedings wise. Those those court documents, I think, have a, a different uh, protocol. Right, but what, you know what was really interesting is that uh, another person uh, was on his way to um, join ISIS and got turned o- uh, got caught and was brought back, and uh, he ended up actually um, uh, killing or or. I don't, it didn't say if he was killing, but he, he had, it was a soldier that had, uh, a man who had run over two soldiers. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And that was in Canada. Yes. And, um, yeah. So, and then he, he came and, uh, he, they, they ran off his car and he landed in a ditch. And when he came out, um, I guess he still continued to resist and he was shot dead. Hmm. Um, but and, yeah. And that on top of the, uh, news of the, um, the Canadian uh, terrorist act where someone um, came out Muslim and uh, killed uh, one soldier at least, and uh, also had ties to wanting to join ISIS. So in some sense, uh, I wouldn't say this is an epidemic because we're looking at a handful of people, but it's enough to be concerning. Well, the the thing that I find really, really interesting is that it's happening like this was like within a couple of weeks. All of these were like within a couple of weeks from each other. 
And so it wasn't like it was, uh, you know, like once a year or twice a year, but it just seemed like it was just all of a sudden the, the media was inundated with all of these stories of this random people that weren't really, to be honest, tied with ISIS in a, in a way that was being supported by an ISIS group. You know, it, they were just guys that converted to Islam, maybe through propaganda online like we were talking about, and then all of a sudden decided to act. Right. No, you have, you have a history of uh, – it's a small history. I guess you could call it a history of, uh, of Americans engaging in terrorist activity. You know, you have Anwar al-Awlaki who was killed by a U.S. drone strike in Yemen. He was an American citizen, was teaching at a mosque in Virginia. You have uh, Naidal Hassan who was – um, who is responsible for killing people at Fort Hood. You have Faisal uh, Shahzad, uh, Pashtun American, uh, that was a- attempted to um, blow up the uh, New York Times Square. And uh, you have, of course, the most recent Boston bombings of the, the Sarnoff brothers, who also uh, were had connections with Al-Qaeda, possibly in Dagestan. So it's, uh, you know, you have all of these things happening, but they were pretty spread out this right. is this is the time where it seems like a lot of things happen in the last few weeks so it is interesting um but we have to take it in in context and i think that's what we want to do here today we want to talk a little bit about the context of this because what you don't want to do is go home and say hey there's this huge problem we have you know all of these teenagers joining isis and wanting to uh commit acts of terror on our own soil right um something that you and i had to look up uh, just to kind of be clear, because we talk, we're talking about terrorism a lot. Um, but uh, So we looked up the definition, the FBI's definition. Uh, it defines terrorism as the unlawful use of force or violence against persons or property to intimidate or coerce a government, the civilian population, or any segment thereof in furtherance of political or social objectives. So these homegrown guys. Right. Would and you, gals. And gals. Would you... Uh, you know, like for the guy that uh, the the parliament shooting, right? He wasn't a part of, you know, a terrorist group. I, th- I think in his mind he was, and I think that does matter. I think I think in his perception, in his own imagination, uh, he was doing this on behalf of ISIS. I think that that does have some some value to look at whether or not ISIS will claim him or. <laughs> It's kind of, they seem like a pretty open group. Um, right. Anybody that's right. willing to commit atrocities, yeah. I guess. I mean, just yeah. come on in. But I, yeah, you're right. I don't, they didn't have any support necessarily. wasn't necessarily um, a part of ISIS, but I think in his own mind he was, and that, and that does matter. But I think the bigger question uh, for me, Howard, is the whole, um, I, I think it was originally, I couldn't trace back the original person. I've heard this statistic thrown around a lot, and that is that uh, 10% of the Muslim world um, are radicalized. And I've even heard people say, well, 10% of, 10% of Muslims are terrorists. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, Sam Harris, Bill Maher, that, that whole debate thing, they had thrown around numbers like that, the core of, uh, of Islam. Right. And, and being extremists and terrorists and such. And th- that was interesting. I, I, I would like to to see more of that or to, to find out where they're kind of getting that stuff from too. Well, I look back, I did find uh, where Glenn Beck a few years back had said 10% of Muslims are terrorists. Okay. And what, 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 what was that from? Well, you know, you can just throw a, a stat. Oh, you mean what, what show was it on? No, it was no, on his radio no, show. No, what did Glenn, where did Glenn Beck get that? I have no idea. Couldn't figure it out. But, oh, okay. but Farid Zakaria, uh, what is it? Zachariah? Farid Zachariah on, I think it's CNN. I can't remember the, the broadcast that he works for, but he, uh, he kind of called him out on it. And uh, did the math 
and said, so what you're really saying is that we have 160 million terrorists walking around. That would be 10% of the 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. Right. So according to Beck, we have 160 million terrorists. And just to kind of give you context, I mean, the U.S. is three around 300 million. So half the population of the U.S. are terrorists. Wow. And if you think about in the United States... Uh, depending on whose statistics you read, I like uh, vetted research organizations like Pew. I'll go with their statistics. We're looking at 3.5 million Muslims in the United States. Okay, 3.5 million Muslims, not terrorists. Muslims, okay. Go for it. <laughs> I guess it depends who you ask. But right. Yeah, no, I would say 3.5 million Muslims uh, in the United States. And so if you were to uh, argue that 10% of those folks were, were terrorists, then yeah, I could understand the mass hysteria about uh, Muslim terrorists because it would be a an astronomical number. But the bottom line is what we have is a handful of Americans engaging in these activities, a handful. Okay. So give me some numbers. Well, we just went over the ones from the, the last uh, week. And then we talked about a couple others that have happened in the last few years. But I mean, let's, let's assume I'm going to go big here and say, uh, let's say 35 Let's say we have 35 people that have engaged in terrorist activity from the United States that are Muslim. What would that be? Point zero 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 one percent of Muslims in America that are terrorist. Of the 3.5 million Muslims, it would be the point zero 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 one percent. Wow. And if we were just to look at this idea of teenagers leaving and engaging and joining ISIS, I mean, that is obviously concerning, especially for the parents, no doubt about it. But let's put it in context. You know, we have three teenage girls and uh, what was the other American? The teenage boy out of Chicago. So we have four. Right. And so far, I'm not saying there won't be more, but we have four. Right. That kind of reminded me of the, uh, there was this chart I saw on Facebook that kind of cracked me up, but it was like about the Ebola outbreak in the U.S. I love it, the, the term even outbreak. Right. It was, it was like one, uh, at the time, it was like one person. And uh, it, it was just, they basically drew these little, you know, stick figures and there was like, a, you know, 300 million of them. <laughs> And so you just had to continually scroll, 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 scroll. I mean, like it was literally like maybe like minutes and minutes of like scrolling till the finally you got to the one red stick figure. It's like that's that's what's really going on. And that's so, the outbreak. Yeah. And so you have here with uh, with um, these 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 terrorists, so-called terrorists in uh, the United States. If it is 35 out of 300 and some million people and out of 30, uh, what did you say? 35? 3.5 million now oh, that, that's if, and that's a conservative statistic. Most of the people that are trying to convince everyone that there's uh, terrorists possibly living next door to you, they're using statistics of like seven million, nine million Muslims living in America. Even those statistics are inflated. And I mean, realistically, we have three point five million Muslims in America. It's not even that large of a population segment. And of that three point five million, so far, we've had four people, uh, teenagers, um, right be uh, convinced online that they should be a part of ISIS. Now, that's concerning those four, and that could easily become more. But to make it out to be this huge issue of homegrown terrorism, I think, is a bit of a stretch. Right. Uh, we kind of came into this story because uh, the, the same friend that I had talked to about uh, ISIS and the bullet and the, 
sharing the gospel with him. Uh, he had kind of mentioned that, uh, it, you know, cause I had kind of explained how much the FBI really does know. I mean, like, you know, like we kind of try to laugh at our government and, and say they're bumbling, you know, but, but the fact of the matter is there's a lot of people on Homeland security, uh, that are looking at these guys that are terrorist threats. And so that led us in our conversation to the next, uh, thought, which was, you know, what about the guys that aren't on terrorist watch list that are just under the radar and they convert to Islam, kind of like what we're seeing in these stories that we brought up and then show up and do some crazy, you know, attack. That'd, that'd be like the guy in the, in the, I think, what was it the chicken factory? He was fired and went back and decapitated a woman in Oklahoma. Right. That's a good example there. So what do you do with that? Are we going to see more of, of that going on? And I think, you know, it's really hard because Howard, we're in the first time. I think this generation is seeing acts of violence all over the world, all happening at once. And it's really easy to believe that we are like the wheels are just coming off. So you're saying that because, you know, in the United States, we're so sheltered from that kind of thing. No, 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 no. I'm saying that we are way overexposed to that sort of thing. Oh, right. Because we're able to see basically the entire world and everything that's happening all at once because of media, because of go. internet, because of globalization. So I think if you were to just try this, if you're listening, try this. Um, of course, if you try it, you're listening. <laughs> Find somebody and just ask them. If you were to say uh, society today, global society, is uh, 10 being the most violent society the world's ever seen. 10 being the most violent society history's ever seen, and one being the most peaceful society history's ever seen, what do you think it is? And I have a feeling that most people are going to say, oh man, we're up there, 8, 9, maybe 10. This, I mean, the world is coming off, uh, the, the wheels are coming off, the world is falling apart, everything is in chaos, there's death, there's murder everywhere, we've got ISIS, we've got Al-Qaeda, we've got Hezbollah, we've got Hamas, we've got uh, Boko Haram, we've got all of these groups, and oh my goodness, and... It's nonsense. Yeah, I I don't know if we even it, it it almost becomes like this subliminal thing because you know uh, to be honest with you when I watch Fox News or CNN I kind of get a headache because like there's so much information coming and it's all terrorizing as far as uh, their their um, their their tempo and the the way they're speaking it's always urgent and, and I feel like Howard's being terrorized by the news and it's always like so worrisome and and then and when it's just even if, if it's just about a politics between candidates there's always this shouting and yelling and I'm just like I I can't handle this this is way too much so yeah I mean I get what you're saying I think people can oftentimes when it's you know especially when they watch the news and then of course the news even the newspapers like do people read those anymore but the the like the headlines these What's gigantic like Ebola you know outbreak in the US and yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I think, yeah, I would agree probably if this... But I'm sure there are some of you out there thinking, what do you mean nonsense? It's not nonsense. The world is falling apart. The The wheels are coming off. Those are real things. And, and you're right. They are real things. There right. are serious threats around the globe. But let's take it in the context of global history. I think a lot of... <laughs> I was just going to say Rome. <laughs> not, Assyria. Not just Babylon. Rome. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's consider... Uh, pre-modern society let's consider tribal societies right. where uh most uh, archaeologists most uh anthropologists would say that the the chances of you dying at the hands of a violent death by by another man are like 15 percent and you might think well that's not that high that's that's extremely high especially right. when you consider your chances today 
of dying at the hands of another man. I'm talking globally, not just you as an American. Globally, the chances of a human dying at the hands of another human are less than 1%. That's encouraging. It's way encouraging, and it should give us a context for how we watch these things and, and, and how we see. Is the world really coming apart at the seams? Are the wheels really coming off? Is it as bad as we actually uh, say that it is or believe that it is? And I say no. Right. And, I, you know, I, I, I tend to feel like where we're going at with, with whenever we bring up media or anything that's kind of inflammatory, it's the idea that we're not interested in fueling that panic because I don't think that's actually good for anybody. You know, and uh, just the idea, right? I mean, just no, the, anything that anything that starts with fear, I would say, okay, take a step back, ask yourself, what am I afraid of? Do I have all of the facts? Have I really right. considered Is this? Legitimate? this? Let me right. let me let me look at it uh, as as a whole, not just this one incident, and then try to make an entire. You know what it is? I've, I've got it. Uh, I was uh, bring, bring the noise. I don't know what to call it. Ooh. Uh, no, no. Okay, wait for it. Chicken Little history. <laughs> Or, the sky is falling. The, the sky, sky is, is falling. falling. Chicken little history. Like we we actually believe everything is falling apart right before our very eyes. And you know what? It's because we, as as probably the first generation, can see everywhere the world is falling apart right before right. our very eyes. Right. But we the reality is, the reality is this is probably, I'm saying probably, I don't want to say it is, even though I think it probably is. I think this is probably the most at peace the world has ever been. Right. That's insane to think about because we don't feel that way. Right. Didn't you didn't you pull up some like statistic on on how crime is just continually dropping? Yeah, in the violent US. crime is on its way down and globally, not just in the US. Now, obviously, if you're living in Syria, it certainly doesn't feel that way, and because of how much we watch the news, it sometimes feels like we're living in Syria. If you're living in Darfur, it doesn't feel that way. If you're living in say the Congo, it doesn't feel that way. But you have to have the context of global history. Um, we see decapitations, uh, we see, uh, people being tortured and we're appalled, but go back a few hundred years, go back a thousand years. And this was entertainment, right? And Where so the people there would is, gather around the guillotine as someone's being beheaded. Yeah. And you know, so we France have to, and, we have yeah. to completely look at it in the context of global history and say, Hey, you know, let's not assume that our world is the world. Right. Right. There was a world before, you know, there's a history. God has been at work from the very beginning and we don't need to be these sort of chicken little historians or chicken little theologians that walk around thinking the world is falling apart, especially if it isn't. Right. And I think the danger is the reactionism, the reactional uh, mindset where everybody And this reminded me of 9-11 when George Bush uh, had basically declared war um, in response because. They felt like something had to be done. They didn't have the facts. They didn't have everything together. But something had to be done. And that's very reactionary. That I, I really believe that that gives power to the others that have done that to us. So, like, you have ISIS attacking us, right? So our natural response is to attack them. It, it kind of forces our hand when we are reactionary rather than taking things aside and saying, okay, how do we respond? How do we educate our people? How do we use rational thinking, logic? How do we bring all of these things in to make the best decision for the long term? Because really what happened to Iraq after we invaded? Now that we've let it go and, you know, we've left, you know, like, ISIS comes There's in. There's a it's vacuum. Like this vacuum, right, right? Exactly. And so, has it been the best decisions? Have we been making? And I'm not saying that we need to get into politics on this show. That's not what we're talking about. But just the idea that we need to be rational. 
that we need to be at peace. We need to have common sense. That we need to make good decisions, not reactionary decisions, but good decisions on their own. I'll, I'll give you an example of reactionary, and that's Anders Breivik, right, in Norway. Mm-hmm. Uh, 77, 77 people killed in a single day wow. trying to protect Norway from Islamization. That's not what we want. And he's doing all of this, according to Anders Breivik, in the name of Jesus. That's so disturbing. Right. It's a new crusade, you know? And I think that we have to be so careful to uh, make sure that we don't even for a second begin to think in those terms. That is a scary thought that this man believed wholeheartedly that he was uh, working out the will of God through through the death of these uh, teenagers. 77 teenagers. Now, what's what's just to give it context... Um, that's way more people like since nine 11, we think about how many people have died at the hands of Islamic extremists. It isn't 77 since nine right. 11. I mean, we're, I don't even know the numbers off the hand, but I know it's not 77. We've got, uh, a couple of uh, Fort hood. What was the, the Fort hood numbers? Um, I can't, remember I don't have those exactly. I think it was 13, 13 killed. That's right. 13. 13 killed at Fort Hood. Faisal Shahzad, actually, his bomb didn't even go off. Uh, um, man, I'm just trying to think of all the the terrorist activity, but it's a it's a handful, really. And when we look at the statistics, I think we'll be surprised that um, terrorist activity is actually on its way down in the United States. Uh, it kind of had a little bit of a spike after 9-11, and then it started to decline. And so on average, uh, it's less than 20 Less than 20 people are arrested, and we'll put all the sources for this. This is out of a research project that was done at Duke University. Less than 20 people are arrested on average for links with terrorism. And I don't even mean they're committing terrorist acts for links with terrorism. Less than 20 per year. Wow. That doesn't seem like that way on the media. No, because we think, well, 10% of Muslims are terrorists, which is so bizarre that we just kind of take that hook, line, and sinker. We've got, you know... Almost 10 million in the United States, also not true, but we take it hook, line, and sinker, and therefore, man, they're everywhere. And so you can imagine, I get it, I get it why people walk around so afraid, but I'm telling you, as we look at the media, yes, there was four people this week um, that were going to engage in terrorist acts. They are angry, Um, they are looking for identity, and they did find a place to fit in an Islamic terrorist group, but that is point zero. Zero, zero, zero. Actually, you got to add a fifth zero, one percent of the Muslim population. Right. And you had said something that we were talking about before the show about um, uh, them finding a place and how compelling that was. And we've talked about this on an earlier show, but just basically, what do you think that um, is such a draw, I guess, for them to. Because, I mean, because really, you're thinking how, if you just think about it, how much of a sacrifice it is to leave your family right to go to a brand new place to join up with people you don't really even know and to fight to lay down your life on you know on their beliefs so well i mean a lot of these these uh especially the teenagers they're angry but that doesn't make you a terrorist i mean almost (laughs) howard you work with a lot of youth a lot of teenagers are angry right And they're looking for a way to... To fit, a place to belong, a place to separate from I'm no longer my parents' kid. I want to be my own person. And so... And they want to believe in something. I think that's this generation's Looking for something to believe in. They want to believe in something that's beyond themselves. Because I think they do find that, uh, at least the more uh, thinking or um, 
more aware or self-aware these students are, uh, they're finding that the world is offering really shallow things. I think, you know, like it's no longer the world of Britney Spears and, and pop culture and, uh, you know, like even it's, it's even hipster to be aware of social issues and what's going on in in the world. So, you know, like I, I can see this, this shift with, with young people, but at the same time, I, I you know, I, we're seeing that it's leading to some extremism, you know, not, not only that, but I think we're actually perpetuating the problem. How so? With media, with, with, uh, these sort of overarching sweeping generalized statements about Muslims and immigrants. Right. They simplify uh, it to the point where it's like, this is wrong. This is right. And it's not really this robust, you know, thought it's really, it's much more complicated than, than what we portray it as, but the media just kind of makes these sweeping statements that that's right. And we know, uh, researchers have, uh, they've looked at sort of the, the psychological things that go on with, uh, an immigrant and especially when their, uh, their ethnic identity or their religious identity has any kind of hostility towards it, whether it's real or perceived. And I would say in this case, it's quite real, right? Uh, so people that have a real or perceived hostility from the host society, the place where they've immigrated, about their ethnicity or even their religion, they start to really either they, – they take one of two routes. One, they completely deny or downplay um, their own ethnic or religious identity right. so that they can kind of fit. Right. They, they become enculturated. That's their goal. Right. right. And then you have the other guys that are – uh, they might actually begin to assert pride in their cultural group. They might uh, assert pride in their um, religious identity as a way of dealing with this uh, hostility. Right. They, so they, they actually become more Muslim than they were before they got here. They right. become more, uh, you know, whether it's a national identity, uh, Pakistani, or more of an ethnic identity, whether it's Pashtun or some other uh, ethnic group. So they become a, a more of what they were before they even arrived to the United States. Right. So they, they consciously separate themselves from the host country. Right. They have no, no idea or, or desire to uh, become like everyone else. And so what ends up happening, the pressure that they feel from the host society, according to this particular research uh, document, it says that the pressure to assimilate and give up one's sense of ethnicity, it may actually result in anger, depression, and in some cases, violence. There's the word. So it doesn't matter if you're a Hispanic immigrant, a South Asian immigrant, a Korean immigrant uh, does not matter. If you have that overwhelming sense of a hostility or a perceived hostility, it puts you into a really tough spot. And I think that we perpetuate this by uh, forcing Muslims to kind of choose sides like, hey, you're Muslim. That means this. And it's oversimplified and it actually ends up creating a bigger problem. The tough thing is it's a societal thing, though, right? I mean, we have as a people, we have responsibilities and we've I think dropped the ball kind of like uh, when uh, last week when we we're talking about Dave Cash and uh, when he was sharing about uh, how Americans have kind of lost that deep sense of hospitality, you know, that's a societal thing. And so here, you know, we're treating uh, Muslim immigrants a certain way, right? Uh, out of fear, out of reactionism. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the Japanese concentration uh, camps uh, mm. in the U S during world war two uh, after Pearl Harbor. Hmm. You know, it became this very much if you're Japanese, you know, you're anti-American when a lot of these Japanese have just grown up um, in the U.S. were born and, you know, maybe a few generations. And so you have you have Muslims that kind of fall and fit into that bill or or, or 
have a real desire to connect with American values and or consider themselves Americans or are Americans themselves, but are still being, you know, judged and I, I mean, harassed. Harassed, and, yeah. I mean, right. that's the bottom line. If it's it's if you, oh, I saw, I. I've experienced this myself with uh, Muslim friends that I have where I've thought, you know what, I'm going to your school and I'm going to talk to your teacher because that's not right. Where they have experienced, um, com- you know, poor treatment because they're Muslim, even just joking. And one one teacher even joked to a young Muslim girl that uh, my wife is really good friends with. She was 16 at the time, joked uh, with her on the death of bin Laden. And she thought, I don't even know anything about bin Laden. I don't know why he's joking with me about this stuff. And I thought, well, there you go. That's a good way to, um, really kind of perpetuate a problem of young teenagers wanting to fit somewhere. There she is trying to fit in an American high school. And here is a teacher actually making jokes, cracking jokes about her and bin Laden. That in my mind just doesn't make any sense. That's horrifying. Yeah, it happens. That's horrifying. And, and, And I feel like it happens way more than, than anyone ever would think about. I, I, you know, I, I understand like Bill Maher and those guys, you know, that are uh, chomping at the bit, and then Ben Affleck saying, you know, like you know, these liberals are just all for, uh, or I mean, Bill Maher saying the liberals are, are too soft on Muslims. But I, I don't think that this kind of prejudice or prejudice is is coming to the forefront. I don't think people realize how difficult it is um, to be a Muslim in our country that have no association with terrorism, that have no desire. They just want to eat sandwiches. There you go. <laughs> right? But at the same time is, is being pushed in this boat. And I can see how a 16-year-old kid who's, who you know, you remember what it was like being 16. There's a lot of, term, it's a tumultuous time where you're trying to figure out who you are and what it is to be a man, who it is, what, what it is that you believe and how you're going to live your life and the fears and the hopes. And then all of a sudden you get hit by ISIS propaganda. Then all of a sudden you're a bride or you're a, a soldier that's trying to get somehow to Syria or to Iraq to to help and fight because that's the only place that you've actually felt like you belonged and could do something bigger than yourself because you're jaded you've you've lost hope and it's and I think you know for us we have to realize that um, Muslims they're just people they have the same heart as you and I they're just people who happen to be Muslim we have to stop viewing them through uh, this sort of religious identity that their religion is everything about them that's way oversimplified Um, we need to actually look at them as people who happen to be Muslim and allow them to define themselves right yeah there there was a recent uh, it's not too recent anymore I think it was uh, 2011 where they did a uh, survey of Muslim Americans and I found this Fascinating, because recent polls are saying that uh, the amount of Americans that are angry with the U.S. government, they're like at an all-time high. I mean, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, it's just at an all-time high. In 2011, it was high as well, um, but nowadays it's it's at the highest that it's been in a while. But this particular uh, survey, um, Muslims that were uh, angry with the U.S. government, angry with the U.S. government, was lower than the general public. What? Yeah. The general public was more angry with the U.S. government than the Muslims were that are living in the United States. The satisfaction of Muslims living in the United States, where they say that they are uh, satisfied with the way things are going in the United States, 56%, and the satisfaction of the general public was 23%. <laughs> so if we're going to just look at uh, and base it, because I think um, uh, he the early Glenn Beck was making his comments about terrorism saying, well, those who are angry with the government, 
According to recent polls, we got a lot more terrorists than he realizes. Right, just, they're, they're just not Muslim. Not Muslim. <laughs> right, that's a whole other problem. Truth about Americans. Just yeah, kidding. no, just it's it is it's something to consider though because I think most Muslims are incredibly satisfied with their life here in the United States. They feel like they're really blessed to be here and they're happy, and they feel like the, the government that they have here is uh, a very good government. And it's a lot of it's because of where they've come from. Right, they've experienced the the horrors. Right. Uh, what would be awesome, though, is if they experienced how we as Americans can be. You know, I think, I, I mean, it, hands down, I think American, America is one of the most generous countries ever. Any, any situation that happens, if you look at Haiti, where tens and tens, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of volunteers come and help over the course of the, the next years. Uh, you know, Katrina, uh, Hurricane Katrina, that is, you know, and, and all of the, the, any kind of thing that has happened, America just jumps in and helps and uh, foreign aid and, and on and on as the general population of the people. But we have to stop thinking in terms of um, just bunching these people together and making them all out to be the same. Uh, America has this, been this amazing melting pot of people where we be, we're becoming more and more multicultural. We can't stand together if we are continually fighting amongst ourselves. We learned that from Islam, actually, from Muslims. That's right, yeah. Um, on, on, a, on a more positive note, in that same survey, 48% of Muslims said that they felt like they had a friendly response from Americans since they have come here as immigrants. So that, well, was, that was good. That's so awesome. Let's let's hope that the Christian church, it's much, much higher than that. But just let me run through a couple of these stats before we go to our next section. Okay. Um, you guys will find this really interesting. What percentage of Muslims recycle? What? 75% as opposed to other Americans, 76%. Wait, 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 wait. No, this is really in the survey. Okay. All right. Percentage of TV watchers. Howard? Uh, 50%. 58%. The average Americans, 62%. I didn't know it was that low. Yeah, I would have thought higher. I guess it's internet TV. It's changed everything. Regular use of social... All right, here we go. Regular use of social networking. Let's go with the Muslim population, Howard. 85. 57%. Oh, man. Now, this is a little older, though, 2011, so I'm assuming it's grown. And uh, Americans, 44%. What? Yeah. All right, regularly watch pro sports. Uh, 25%. 48 percent and americans 47 they're way more into the nfl than we are one percent wait how do you know it's the nfl i'm sorry i used the word they <laughs> they just says pro sports you know it's like the only pro sport on in america i mean really because i know koreans like we are wild about archery you saw that in the olympics oh just my to... goodness all right display the american flag oh, what I'm, percentage I'm, of muslims display uh, the american flag i'm gonna say 75 percent Forty-four percent. Okay, that's that's pretty reasonable. percentage of Americans that display the flag. This is a trick, isn't it? No, fifty-nine percent. Oh, what does that mean? Display like on their front porch? I think so. I maybe a bumper sticker would count. I don't know. Oh, a bumper sticker, clothes. I, I think it's probably. I'd have to look at the the question the way it was worded. Pew's really good about giving their their questionnaires and how yeah. they ask. All right, and so our final one. Are you ready? Percentage of Muslims. That regularly play video games. Twenty five percent, eighteen percent, and the general American public nineteen percent. 
Are you serious? Gamers only... 19%? 19%. They're all in my youth group. I'm pretty sure. You're all Asian. 19%. Those are, of you that didn't know, Howard is Asian. I am Asian. <laughs> Can't you hear it in my voice? So we've got 18 and 19%. And the point is, they're not so different. Come on, people. They're just... They're people that happen to be Muslim. And we have to stop defining everything they do based on their religion. And you can learn a lot from just asking people about themselves. So anyway, I thought right. that, that uh, survey was really, really informative. And fun. And fun. And fun. All right. So our next segment is Boom Goes the Dynamite. Boom Goes the Dynamite. And uh, the person that gets that this week is oh. Representative... Joe Wilson. Tell us what he said, from Trevor. From South Carolina. Oh, Representative Joe you, Wilson. You didn't have to say that because we're from South Carolina, but now, okay, now everyone knows. No, they know. I mean, they're going to look it up. I mean, I don't, uh, the exact quote, um, I don't have it in front of me. How I, do you I, have it? Go I do. With the, go with the exact quote. Do you want me to do it with a southern accent? Do you have a good southern accent? Of course I do. Tell you what, I am <laughs> Asian, too. but I was grown in, I was raised in the south. That's 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 not quite southern. With the southern, you got especially if you're in politics, you got to have like a little oh. bit of molasses falling out of your mouth. Right, that's it's the old country, old southern. Yeah, southern. Actually, I am from the south, but I don't have a southern accent. Florida, you're from Florida. That's, that's not a, the south. A, that's, that's the south. I'm from that, the Panhandle. No, 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 no. That's New Jersey. Panhandle. That's, that's New the South. That's New Jersey imported down to the south. All right, give it to us. What does he have? Give us the boom goes the night. All right, so basically, here it is. Okay, well, part of their creed, they're talking about ISIS. No, no, he's talking about Hamas. Oh, Hamas, you're right, thank you. Would be to bring persons who have Ebola into our country. So uh, he he believes that part of their terrorist attack would be to take people that are infected with Ebola and send them through Mexico into our nation. He, he actually, this is, in my mind, the ultimate... Boom goes the dynamite because it's the trifecta. He brings up Hamas. So he's talking about Hamas and Israel. So he's got Israel in there. He's talking about Muslims because Hamas is a Muslim uh, group, too. And then he brings up, oh, man, he's got four. He brings up Ebola, which is like number four or three there. And then with number four, he brings up the border. Immigration. Immigration. This is the ultimate sort of... uh, Quad I don't know what you would call that. It's the yeah. trifecta plus one. Right. Yeah, so he's talking about uh, Hamas going over and, I guess, volunteering without um, the hazmat suits and willingly infecting themselves. It just sounds... I, I get where he's coming from. He's saying that they're willing to die and this and that, but I think he's really... Honestly, I think he, maybe he forgot the name of the group that he was going to say, and he just threw out one that came to his mind, Hamas, because Hamas is primarily Palestinian, and they're fighting for land in Israel. I'm not right. so sure they're, they're that busy. focused. Yeah, so they're they got their busy. own thing yeah. going on. Right. But then uh, infecting themselves with Ebola, coming through the south, through uh, Mexico, uh, man, he kind of hit on everything there. And so it was a, an ultimate, really just political uh, move. Right. He drank the Kool-Aid of the media. So Or... As uh, Shepard says, Shepard oh, Smith, yeah, we almost forgot about that. No, because he's our uh, Seize the Day, our right, Carpe, Carpe Diem, Diem Award. But uh, he, I love that he has this voice of reason, and he calls out that kind of behavior from the media. Tell us, tell us, kind of give us a brief overview. Well, of what he calls it hysterical voices on the media. He because, calls it irresponsible. Yeah, irresponsible reporting, hysterical voices, essentially says... Uh, I'll just be summarizing here, but you need to, we'll put the video in the show notes and you can go and watch it yourself. But what he says is, Hey, there's an election coming up. Everybody has an agenda here. And so the, 
The uh, party that's in power has to let you know that they're protecting you. The party that's not in power has to show you how the party in power is not protecting you. And Ebola has become the political pawn of the day and just calls everybody out. I was shocked. Right. He did a great job, too. He was real, real straight. And he was just basically saying, hey, this is not what it seems. Yeah. He said, there's no nonsense here. There is no Ebola outbreak. And he goes through and gives the facts about Ebola. Tells everybody to calm down, don't be hysterical, don't pay attention to the hysterical voices on the media, and uh, I was really encouraged by that. Yeah, and then and then you got Joe Wilson, right? <laughs> he didn't get the memo. It's everybody. <laughs> it's everything. We're we're all gonna die. I mean, like you know, mass hysteria, right? And uh, and he's he represents South Carolina. I'm sorry. Sorry, well, South Carolina. Yeah. Well, anyway, it, it was uh, the reason he gets the, and I'm not saying that we agree or disagree with anybody that we put on, on the show for the Carpet Diem Award or the Boom Goes the Dynamite. Uh, maybe it's just a bad moment for one person or a really good moment for another person. I don't know what Shepard Smith has said in the past about Islam. I'm sure he's had, he may be a Boom Goes the Dynamite moment here later in the show. Right. I don't know. We do not support everything he says. Right. But that moment, we were encouraged yeah, by his speaking out against the, the mass hysteria and the using Ebola as a pawn in a political chess match. Right. And we kind of tried to do that on the show, too. Uh, you know, of course, our tagline, you know, we want to educate people beyond the media. We don't want them just to swallow it, uh, you know, uh, wholesale. And so it was kind of neat to hear him talk about Ebola that way. And, of course, with our Boom Goes the Dynamite, you know, it kind of just works perfectly because uh, normally we really wouldn't probably talk about Ebola that much unless that did happen. Whatever Joe Wilson said did happen. I'm not saying it's going to, nor do I think it's likely, but we wouldn't talk about Ebola and just kind of gave us an opportunity to do that. Well, so. you know, we could have because there are some Muslims out there that are condemning Ebola because they said they felt like that everybody's People accusing blame them, them of not... <laughs> they were going to get blamed for Ebola. So there was like a Muslim group. It was kind of like a joke. They came out and said, we better condemn Ebola before we get accused of not speaking out against Ebola. So right. oh, anyway, man. that's awesome. But yeah, so let's go with our uh, our resource of the week. I want to talk to you guys about a, uh, a book that came out. Um, it was 2011, and this was kind of what got me thinking about the the world in light of history, not just looking at what's happening in the media and assuming that the wheels are coming off. So uh, Steven Pinker, a uh, psychologist professor at Harvard, has uh, written a book, uh, The Better Angels of Our Nature, Why Violence Has Declined. Now, I'm going to just say right off the bat, obviously, I don't agree with everything Steven Pinker has to say. He uh, He's not a believer. He's pretty critical of uh, Christian beliefs in the Bible and talks about the violence of the Bible, um, I think, in a very sort of uh, un, a very biased way. But his statistics regarding uh, violence and culture and violence in light of uh, the 21st century is phenomenal and very interesting. And you have to consider what he's saying and say, hmm, maybe, maybe the world isn't as bad as, um, as I thought it was. That's, I've never even heard of this book. Where did you hear about this guy? Well, he has a TED Talk as well. Um, Ooh, those those of TED you Talks. that don't like to read, that's me. Right. Um, <laughs> and he's working on his PhD right now. That's why, why it's going to take a long know. time to finish. <laughs> Um, but so, TED Talks, yeah. yeah, you're right. That's a great alternative Go, to reading. <laughs> you know, would it be wrong if I did my whole PhD on TED Talk videos? <laughs> would it be wrong? It depends on the school. I, I don't guess. know if I'd graduate. I'd have right. to talk to my advisor about that. But anyway, uh, he has a TED Talk. Um, Steven Pinker, he's also been on NPR a few times. He's got Ooh, a few... Two-time Pulitzer Prize winner. 
Oh, finalist. I'm sorry. Final, yeah. And, you know, he's from Harvard, so I think he's been vetted. Right. And he has awesome hair. He does. Long, he does. large, curly, froish locks or locks of hair. But right. anyway, te- check out the TED Talk. Um, check out his book if you, uh, if you have time. I think it will be encouraging because the bottom line, as believers, we should be the first and foremost people to recognize when things are not bad. We should be looking for opportunities to see where God is moving. We should be looking for opportunities to see uh, the image of God in humanity. And I fear that we have lost that. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know. I just feel like in the media, it's, it's really hard to, to keep that face. So I think you're right. I think we have to be extremely intentional, you know, without losing hope, without... Uh, because I don't, I don't think that uh, Christ brought, left us on earth at this time to... Uh, to, to make people scared, but to actually be bringers of hope, right? Absolutely. And that's kind of different than what we've, uh, we've been known as, as Christians over the time, over history. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of the exact quote that C.S. Lewis uh, talks about. Um, it's in Mere Christianity, but he says, here it is. So, uh, so let's suppose one reads a story of filthy atrocities in the paper. Then suppose that something turns up suggesting that the story might not quite be true or not quite so bad as it was made out is one's first feeling. Thank God. Even they aren't quite as bad as that. Or is it a feeling of disappointment and even determination to cling to the first story for sheer pleasure of thinking your enemies are as bad as possible. And I think that that concerns me. And I think CS Lewis, if he saw what we were doing today and the way that we were viewing the world and the way that we were looking at Muslims I think that this quote would ring true true today more than, than ever before. And, and think about the context of when mere Christianity is coming out and these radio broadcasts during the war. And what he goes on to say is, if the second is true, in other words, if you think um, you're disappointed that you found out your enemies aren't as wicked as you thought they were, if the second then it is, I am afraid the first you are in the first step of a process which, if followed to the end, will make us into devils. Hmm. You see, one is the beginning to wish that black was a little blacker. If we give that wish its head, later we shall wish to see gray as black, and then to see white itself as black. Finally, we shall insist on seeing everything, God and our friends and ourselves included, as bad, and not be able to stop doing it. We shall be fixed forever in a universe of pure hatred. Wow. That's that's that speaks a lot to I think where we are today. We need to be careful. We need to be we need to be the kind of people that when somebody says, "Look, the world is falling apart at the seams. The wheels are coming off." We need to be the people that say, "It's not as bad as you say. God is still at work." Right, and it's not the end. And it's not the end. We need to stop with the chicken little history, chicken little theology. I don't know what we're going to call it, but I like chicken little it is. It's kind of cute. It reminds me of like Bugs Bunny cartoons. No, no, not Bugs Bunny. What Looney Tunes cartoons when I was a kid. That was Chicken Little, right? No, Chicken Little is when the sky is falling. The movie. Yeah, but I think I think he was on there. Oh yeah, I don't know about that. No, that's the uh, the Foghorn Leghorn. Yeah, the Big Rooster. But yeah. there was a Chicken Little something in there. I don't know, never mind. Maybe anyway. it was just a show. 
Howard's completely distracted. I don't I'm know out. what he's thinking. Of I'm out. He checked out after C.S. Lewis quote. He had like a little <laughs> moment. I heard him snapping in the corner like, ooh, jazz we, hands. We, anytime there's good, good, <laughs> a good thought, we snap our fingers. So if yeah. you hear that, yeah, that's like, a, that's like a golf clap. It's like the golf clap. That's right. You got to picture somebody in a, in a poetry setting reading C.S. Lewis and going, right. ooh, nice. Right. So okay. anyway, that's our show for today. Let's not look for gray and try to make it black. Let's not uh, be overwhelmed with the idea that the world is falling apart. Let's be truthful about what's really going on in the world, and but let's have hope. Right, and let's bring hope to others. Amen. And if you like this show, we'd love to hear about it. Any comments, uh, questions? Questions and answers. We can give questions or, well, we can give answers. I don't know. We might not be able to give answers or questions. We might just ramble on. Uh, yeah. Well, we're going to try our best. Is that what, that's what Trevor's saying. We're going to try our best. Yeah, send in your questions, send in your comments, even if they're critical. We like critical comments as well. We need to start a whole section that says why I think you're wrong, Howard and Trevor. Right. And that we'll be good. And we will read it and enjoy it. Uh, if you guys get personal, though, that's kind of messed up. Like, if you say something against Asians, come on, guys. Oh, that's messed up. Come or if on, you say guys. something against Howard's car, that fuchsia color that it's he not, drives. It's periwinkle. I'm pretty secure in myself, so... All right. All right. Yeah, be sure to uh, tune in again, and be sure to spread the word, Truth About Muslims podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm